You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Wednesday, April the 6th. Tom Stanley has set the bar ridiculously high this week, so I bring you today an action-packed show filled to the gunnels with Grand National news and so much more. Later in the programme, you'll be hearing from Martin Brassel, trainer of Longhouse Poet. He won the Grand National in 2006 with number six Valverde. Uh, trainer Lorne Hill has been talking to Tom about a surprise new acquisition for tomorrow's Fox Hunters. I'll be checking in with Jane Mangan about the best of the Irish. Internationally, we'll take stock of the Hong Kong scene with J.A. McGrath. And James Willoughby is here with an early rankings update this week after the machine went into meltdown after a series of unpredictable results over the weekend. Also be talking to star amateur rider Derek O'Connor in his role as Goff's representative ahead of their big sale on Thursday evening at Aintree. But first of all, weather is on everybody's lips, whether or not to water the course at Aintree as well. And that is the responsibility of Seleka Varma with an unsettled weather forecast. Seleka, what are you doing? Yeah, so um, we made the decision yesterday, sort of mid-afternoon, that we were going to water the Grand National course overnight. That had reached the point where the very large majority of it was was good ground rather than the ideal good to soft. Um, so you know, it, it's a it's a fairly well advertised fact that we we keep the ground. Uh, good to soft on the on the Grand National course, so I don't think that would have come as much of a surprise to people. Um, we have made the decision this morning that we're going to water um, parts of the mild main hurdle course, um, that being the, the bends and the home straight. Um, we've got another dry, breezy day today, um, and that ground has already gone good. Um, and I really don't want it getting any faster than that. So um, we've we've had to. We have to make a decision at some point. So we've made that decision. We're going to put two to three mil on those areas today. Yeah, it might, might just be worth contextualising this a bit because you obviously know the way that the track behaves. If you did not put water on today, would that then become would that then have become quicker than good on the mile may track? Yeah, I think it would, particularly in the home straight. Um, you know, we, we walked it with Chris Dennis, our course inspector, yesterday afternoon. And, and we all just sort of looked at each other and... and you could tell we were all thinking the same. This is, is you know, with a, a, a breezy day that we had yesterday and milder than we were expecting as well. Um, it had got to a point that we all ju- were just thinking this isn't going to hold on another 24 hours. We decided to wait and see what rain we got last night because there was a band cutting across the country. The expectation was that most of that was going to go north of us. And I sat in the office yesterday evening watching the radar as this great big band of rain crossed, probably only 20 miles north of us, but far enough north of us that it meant that we only got a mil of rain overnight. Fine. So do you have any idea what the watering programme might be for the rest of the week yet or not? Um, No, I mean, it's Thursday, it looks like there's some light showers around. Um, it may not be a completely dry day, but it's remaining breezy and there's still sunny spells. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us particularly needing to water the Grand National course overnight. The mild may, we'll, we'll take a view each evening depending on how the, the course has performed during the day. 
Well, one man who won't mind any water, either natural or artificial, to fall on the Grand National course is Grand National winning trainer Martin Brassel, who struck back in 2006 with number six of Valverde and bids to do the same again with a horse of a quite a similar profile in Longhouse Poet. Uh, and Martin's with me now. I say quite a similar profile, Martin, but are there actually any similarities between the two horses? Probably not a huge amount. Uh, both of them are good sound jumpers. Um, say long I was forced, it's probably a classier type of horse. I was uh, like on 138, number six, Valverde got a run in the national and like sure he wouldn't get a look in now. So it's just a better, better quality horse uh, being aimed at it now. Uh, probably because of the you know, the modification of the fences and track and uh, it's a much safer place to to risk your good horses. You have a good horse in, in Longhouse Poet. Has the preparation this season gone exactly as you'd planned it in the in the off season? It has, yeah. I've had no hold ups with him. Yeah. Um I was probably pleasantly surprised that he won the Tiestas. I, I didn't think Maybe his second run of the season that he was just quite sharp enough for it. But um, I probably learned something that day that I hadn't realised. I, I, I was firmly of the belief that he was a better horse on very heavy ground. And we'd had a dry kind of couple of weeks there. And in January, it was a very dry month. And the ground was only soft yielding in places. And he looked totally better horse on it, if anything. Jumped much quicker got over the ground a lot better, finished the race out really well. So no. it's probably most his most impressive success of, of any of his wins, you know. Now, we know that it's important to, to keep a little bit up your sleeve from the handicapper when you're when you're targeting Aintree. But unlike number six, Valverde, this horse really hasn't got any form over any kind of marathon distance. Everything's been within the realms of convention so far. Uh, yeah, how how confident can you be that this is what he wants? He has the pedigree, and like he's won his point to point, and like I'd say, as a hurdler, he probably maybe should have ran in the Albert Bartlett rather than the Ballymore. But um, stamina looks to be his big forte. His beginners chase three mile beginners there New Year's Eve when he won, and. Um, uh, most of his success has been over three miles, so there's no reason to suggest that's all. As, that's as far as he's going to get. So all set fair. The preparation's been great. Um, as far as the memories of 2006 are, are concerned, yeah, how how vivid are they, Martin? That that day for you and and for your family and everyone concerned with the stable. How big an imprint has it has it left on you? Oh, huge! Look at him. The horse still lives here with us at the yard so uh, we're not going to forget about him too easily even if he was you know he's just he's part of our daily routine he comes in at night and goes out during the day and everyone has a chat with him now and then so um, it's lovely to have him around the place still at 26 and uh, yeah it was a huge day but like I, I, I did I remember that the day so well I was very calm coming up to the actual race but then when I went up on the I think it was a kind of a press stand I went up my son Connor and Ted Walsh showed me where he'd normally watch it and we went up there together 
And it was only when I saw them walking around 40 that I sort of said, Jesus, what am I doing here? So um, it was nervous. It was probably the most nervous I've ever been watching any race in, in my entire life. Uh, but it was easier watching the following year, having had the success. And uh, even I had a runner there in 2014. It was wasn't hard to watch that either even though you know you'd be nervous and excited but uh, that day in particular the first day that was that wasn't easy now and uh, given the fact that you're getting quite a, a big share of attention this year do you think that do you think you'll get back to those 2006 butterflies again do you do you think your stomach will be in knots i'm sure it will you know it will um like you're probably the most nerve-wracking for me is like the first four fences making sure that horse gets a clear run and nothing falls in front of them or brings them down. Um, and if they can get into a a, a space or a, a place in the field where they're happy, then you'd be hoping when they get a circuit completed that uh, they'd be able to ride a race after that, you know. That was Martin Brassel. This is Jane Mangan. What unites the two? Well, they've both got serious history with this race. And Martin was talking about number six, Valverde, still being something of a family pet, still very much at home and uh, and really a, a hugely popular horse. And three years before number six, Valverde, Jane, your dad trained Monty's Pass to win the, the Grand National. And, and you of all people know just the reach of this race and what having a Grand National winner in your care means. Yeah, it's extraordinary, Nick. To be honest, at the time, I, I didn't appreciate it. I was too young and I didn't understand the magnitude of the race. But even just last Friday, I was walking out of here to catch a plane to go to air. And there was two complete strangers walking into the yard and I stopped them. I said, are you lost? Are you okay? Are you looking for somebody? And they said, we saw the sign in the village um, that Monty's passes from here. Is there any chance he's still alive? We'd love to see him. And I said, of course. And they said, we're going to Liverpool. And I said, what? I can get your accents. You're not from Connacht. And they said, we're from Melbourne. So that's the reach of the national. They had walked into the yard hoping that Monty's pass would still be around. And they got a little extra bang for their book after visiting Cork. So, yes, he's still here. He, he's in fine fettle. And uh, it's not until you try and replace a horse like that that you realise how special they are. So he's still a celebrity around here. In Monty's Passes Day, number six Valverde's Day, there was kind of always a select interesting group of, uh, of Irish trained horses. Now there's just a whole glut of them, all with, with some sort of chance or other. Who, in your opinion, has the, the momentum behind them? Who is, who is the horse that, that people in Ireland believe is the best handicapped and is the horse on point to, to run his or her biggest race? The horse everybody's talking about is is a horse not called the Grinch, but fast becoming known as the Grinch because Delta Work really spoiled Christmas at Cheltenham last month. And while I don't think he's well handicapped, he's raised 160. This year's race is a little bit more compressed than your typical national, which means 11-9 seems like a, a fairly legitimate and feasible weight for him to carry. Nobody's forgetting about the performance of Annie Second now last year and how unlucky he was in running and what might have been for him. Gordon Elliott obviously has a, a glut of runners, but he has serious chances with the likes of Ascaria 10, uh, Mount Ida, and Davy Russell would have had the choice of a number of these, and he's gone for Run Wild Fred. Throw in good look stories. Enjoy Dallin from Kieran Murphy's Freewheel and Dillon last year's 150 to 1 winner of the Irish Grand National for Dermot McLaughlin. Emmett Mullins is Noble Yates in there for the Whaley Cones. This, this, this year's Irish challenge is formidable.
Okay, you talked about Longhouse Poet. We've just spoken to, to Martin Brassel. He sounded you know, reasonably confident, as, as far as you can be, going into a race like this. He's got relatively few miles on the clock. Is he a horse that we have to take very seriously, in your opinion? Absolutely. I was really impressed with him in the races at Goran. Um, I thought he was not, not, not just slow, but I, I thought he lacked a little bit of class before that race. But the, that race was a quality renewal. It wasn't run on sluggish, heavy ground. And he was uh, a comfortable, travelled comfortably throughout the race. Always looked like the likely winner. And I just know Martin Brazil is such a good target trainer that Aintree will not have been a backbone. Okay, I want to talk to you about Snow Leopardess, who is continuing to come for more support. Uh, the mare is the story of the race, really. Uh, she had a foal, came back from injury and, and has had a, a glittering career subsequently for Charlie Longson. I don't think I've seen a horse jump Aintree fences better, more crisply or more cleanly in a long time than, than, than she did in the Beecher Chase. The other comment you can associate with that is her appetite for the next fence. As soon as she was landing from the Evergreens, she was looking for the next one. Some horses are dreading the next fence. Um, and what's amazing is was she has obviously had a fall. She broke down. She missed two years. But she's still only a 10-year-old. She hasn't actually missed her prime, which is a, an amazing thing when you consider her her track history. This is a wonderful story. But Nick, what year was the last mayor to win the Indian National? Fifty uh, something was it? Nickel coin? Is it? I, I can't. I can't remember. It's nineteen fifty something, isn't it? Early fifties. Nickel coin. Never in doubt, Nick. Nineteen fifty-one. You're on yeah. on the button. Nickel coin. Now there have been mayors go very close in the interim, and of course, um, Sheila's Cottage won it three years before Nickel's coin. So Magical Light is the closest that they've come since. No Leopardess obviously does not take away from her chance one bit. She's got. Uh, she doesn't know the record, but uh, I think herself and Mount Ida. In the year of fillies, in the era of mares, they have a serious chance of breaking that duck and getting a mare back in the winner's enclosure. Okay, I've got a couple of things I want to bring up with you. Uh, Jigginstown, um, likely to have a stack of runners. JP McManus, likely to have a stack of runners. Gordon Elliott revealed to Tom Stanley, broke the news on this podcast yesterday, that he would have probably eight. Not inconceivably to have nine, but probably eight runners having earlier in the week said he might only have four or five. And that has... um, led to a flurry of, of debate about how many horses an individual owner or trainer should be able to have in the race because it's depriving horses with decent chances that are just below the cut. Uh, would you favour any sanction in that respect or, or leave it as it is? I wouldn't restrict an owner or a trainer in their number of runners, but I would ask the question, do we reveal the, rate, the weights or do we set the weights too early and do we detract these horses from running over fences throughout the year. So if you have a horse like Eclair Surf, who the either form has come to the fore, she's gone or he's gone up in, in weight a bit since the initial weights were, were introduced. And would that mean then he would eventually have got into the race if we didn't set the weight so far in advance for the national? But then the other side of that coin is if you do wait until closer to the time to set the weights, then horses like say a longhouse poet, if they didn't run again, would they just tip around over hurdles and conserve their mark. So there's two sides to that coin. Yeah, indeed. And of course, if you if you didn't reveal the weights as early as you do, we'd be sitting here now having the having the dreaded tiger roll debate. So, thankfully, we we've been we've been spared that, as has been pointed out um, in numerous places this week. So, 
Uh, I don't think I'd be in favour of any of any restrictions. I understand that people will be disappointed if horses like Eclair Surf and Commodore and Fortescue don't get a, a run and you know, you're taking away the diversity of connections. But you want the race to be supported and Jiggenstown and JP Manus have supported the race in numbers unlike any other owners down the years. So you can't really have it butter your bread on both sides, can you? Well, you want the best horses running. Now, a lot of people will say, okay, the best horses are running but if you take a Sam Crow he's running on the the mark that he earned three years ago well that's not a that's not an unfair comment but you know as well as anyone that the Grand National can reignite a fire in a horse just take Balco de Flo last year who would have thought he'd finish second take Mon Mom 100 to 1 winner Absolutely. And for all that the race is that little bit more conventional than perhaps it once was, there's still a magic to it, still a great unpredictability to it, still a uniqueness to it that makes it so appealing across the globe and makes owners want to have runners in it. And that desire is just as intense in the Amateurs Grand National, the the Fox Hunters, which takes place tomorrow, if you are from the point-to-point or hunter-chasing community, as Lorne Hill is, and she and her husband Alan have taken another opportunity to have yet another runner in the race, as she explained to Tom Stanley yesterday. Well, I'm stood on the gallops with Lorne Hill, and I thought it would be silly for me not to ask you, Lorne, about the fact that Mighty Stowaway now lines up on Thursday in, in your name. It, it took me aback a bit, so tell us how this has come about. Well, Camilla Sharples, who owned him with Gordon Elliott, she's his travelling head girl, she put up a tweet on, I think it was Monday, to say that he was for sale with an entry in the entry Fox Hunters. So my son Joe, who used to work for Gordon for a bit and knows Camilla, saw this and rang her up and had a chat and then rang a good owner of ours, Nick Sutton, who has who has horses here for his son Ben to ride. And so Nick went ahead and bought the horse for his son Ben to ride. So we got the horse vetted. He came over here, arrived on Saturday lunchtime. And look, I, you know, I, I know that the wing leader was, was a, a good few legs ahead of Mighty Stirway, but must go there with a half decent chance now yeah i mean he ran last year at aintree he didn't run so well but camilla's sweetened him up and taken the blinkers off him he has cheap pieces now and he's run much sweeter this year he's won three opens and jamie cod was you know really looking forward to riding him (laughs) (laughs) and uh, if if um if he goes and runs well or wins you know you can take all the credit having i'm sure equally there's not a lot you could have done with the horse since you've had him i mean how long's he been here literally i picked him up at one o'clock on saturday lunchtime so yes, any credit is purely down to me. Um, Alan has a, a <laughs> quite right. Alan has a couple in the race as well. Just tell us about their chances. Clonda Westy, who ran there last year, um, he's a funny old horse. He's quite a quirky horse, but he ran really well. Took the course well last year. He was fourth, beaten in a photo. We, you know, hope he'll go and run a nice race again. And Rikers Island, who's a lovely old chaser, used to be with um, Richard Newland. He is always jump brilliantly I hope Hugh Edwards will have a great chance on him unfortunately Dan Sherman the owner can't ride him because he's injured but his friend Hugh is riding him and I hope they both have a great round given where we've been over the last you know couple of years with regards to the you know this scene and last year the the fact that you know at Cheltenham it had to be professionals riding it just feels like business as usual right looking forward and and it, you know it must have been a, a fab what eight months for you now cracking on as normal it is and it's really made a difference having the crowds back just puts all the atmosphere back into the races i mean last year obviously it was wonderful last at aintree we had a great day and we're very excited but with no crowds it just feels empty and hollow this year probably we'll wish they weren't because we won't be able to see anything or we'll move through the crowds at all but no it's great it brings the atmosphere back to the races thanks Lorne. good luck thursday thank you 
Well, after racing tomorrow at Aintree, there'll be a chance to buy yourself some choice bloodstock, as there always is with the golf sale, which takes place after racing. Um, one of the boutique sales that really first captured the imagination and uh, the sale where this year's Grand National runners, Fiddler on the Roof, who has a pretty good chance, and Sam Crow, who, well, who knows, might spring back to form. Um, he was also bought at this sale, and he's in the race as well. So two horses who were bought here ended up in the Grand National, which is rather nice. Goss Derek O'Connor is with me now. You'll know Derek as the man who's ridden 7,552,000 Irish point-to-point, Hunter Chase, and all sorts of other winners. Uh, but he's a man of many talents. Derek, uh, morning. What can we expect this year? Nick, good morning, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so these boutique sales, Nick, uh, they're very important to the industry, uh, and we're very fortunate this year that we've had uh, a great run up to this sale. So we have uh, three or four weeks worth of uh, the best point pointers we could put together uh, in this sale after racing on Thursday afternoon. Uh, a fine catalogue of horses, and uh, as we know, the Irish point pointers have been doing exceptionally well when they come across to this country or any country. Uh, they, they're winning just all before them, and uh, so we, we have a good catalogue of horses that we're going to put up for sale on Thursday afternoon. And, and I, I always wondered when when sales after races, which is now quite a common thing, first came into being. I thought, oh God, is that is that the right time to 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 get prospective owners or to get owners? And of course, the answer has been a a resounding yes. Has their success surprised you in any respect? Um, you know, it was a fear that there was a lot going on the day that trainers were too busy with their runners and uh, entertaining their owners to give the sale enough time and uh, to be able to inspect the horses properly. But I think that uh, they're coming together brilliantly now in the last few years and uh, we've seen the success of this sale is growing over the last four or five years. I think when you have the the appetite there to buy horses, you have the owner and the trainer there together and the sales companies put the horses up in front of them. I think I think the appetite to buy horses is exceptional at the moment. And to be honest, I'd say you could have a sale anywhere. If you put up Irish Point Pointers in front of anyone at the moment, there had to be people there to buy them. The, the appetite is incredible. Yeah, and as you say, they're at, the owners are actually there. So it's probably the closest you're really going to get them off to the actual point of, of sale, which probably makes it an awful lot easier to... To, to sell them, I mean, to sell them on the part of the trainers as well as the as well as the vendors. In terms of the sort of likely star lots this year, who do you think they're going to be? Um, we're very fortunate. I don't, I don't really like to pinpoint no. uh, star lots. Uh, uh, put the kettle on. Oh my God, what a way to start the sale! Uh, a jewel grade one winner, uh, jewel Cheltenham Festival winner. She's gone up as lot one. Henry de Bromhead uh, is offering this filly. Uh, she's been offered with a breeding cert, but she has the option to go racing also. So this this is very exciting. This is a foundation mare for some breeding operation if you want to uh, buy her, or she could be a race mare also. She's exceptional mare to start the, the the sale on Thursday afternoon. So, and then we lead into so we've thirty two lots in total. We have is it thirteen individual four year old winners? We have seven five year old winners. Put the kettle on. Magical Zoe is twenty three, and then we have a further uh, is it eight placed horses or nine placed horses. So, budget-wise, we have everything. We have from middle market to the top end. Uh, we have fillies. We have four-year-old geldings. We have uh, track horses. We have everything. If you want a horse uh, and you have a select budget or select type of horse you want, we have them in the entry on Thursday afternoon. All right, Derek O'Connor there from Goss. And before that, Lorne Hill excited about another runner in the Aintree Fox Hunters. That's not all that's happening tomorrow afternoon, Jane. Not by any stretch. The juvenile hurdle is a brilliant race. 
Uh, I'm excited to see what Brazil can do against the heavyweights like Pied Piper. Venetia Williams has a very interesting uh, acquisition from France in their Fontenay. Uh, she's first run for the yards. So that's the juvenile hurdle. Gin Online skipped Cheltenham to come here. She's going in the manifesto. But I suppose tomorrow's racing is all about the Betway Bolnick. Um, Royal Guy Protector at Kemboy back for some more. Skipped Cheltenham, conflated off the ground from Cheltenham. Let's see if he can land a blow. But I suppose we have to mention it now. The Trainers' Championship. Clanders a bow, blinkers on. Paul Nichols is leaving nothing to chance. I, I'd love to see him bounce back and win another one. And I, I, but I, I, I can't have him as a bet in the race. I like Royal Pagai as long as the ground doesn't quicken up too much. Yeah, I think he ran a very good race in, in Cheltenham. I'm going to counter your Royal Pagai with the protector ad. I thought he ran very well in the Gold Cup. And of course, Dan Skelton buying for that Trainers' Championship as well. And we haven't even mentioned... The Betway entry hurdle, Zanahir, Epiton, uh, Glory Unfortunate, even Mon Morale, interesting for Paul Nichols, who also saddles uh, McFabulous. But this might be a time to shine for the young horses. Mon Morale, Zanahir, both pair of five year olds. This might be their time to step into big company and make an impact. Well, it's not all entry this week. We are, of course, uh, keeping a close eye on international affairs as well. And with that in mind, it's our weekly trip to Hong Kong. And here's the croc again. Hi, Nick. Well, the best news that come out of Hong Kong in the last seven days is that Golden 60 is back. He's back on track and back on target for the Champions Mile, which comes up in three weeks' time at Sha Tin. He ran a cracking race on Sunday to win. He sat in behind the pace and Vincent Ho rode the perfect race and uh, was able to come off their backs and then finish on, showing him that brilliant turn of foot, which we know Golden 60 has. So I'm pretty confident that he's going to be back winning again at uh, Sha Tin on the 24th of April. This week, we've got Happy Valley again on the Wednesday. It's the usual fare. And again, Joe Marrera and Zach Purton are matching strides. Well, Zach leads Joe Marrera 97 to 96 in their thrilling tussle for the title. And who's going to be the first of the 100? Well, that's anybody's guess. I do think that Joe Marrera is going to win the, the uh, fourth race uh, on this program with Savaquin, this class two 1800 meter race, which is a mile and one furlong. Savaquin has always threatened to win one of these. He's actually won three, but they've all been over around the mile distance. So stepping up and trying to actually notch a win over this trip, I think he will go in. He's drawn well and he's going well. His big danger is number two, Money Catcher, who ran a big race in the derby, was third in the derby and a really good performance, but this time it's drawn seven and that's probably more awkward than it looks on paper. He's got to be able to slot in and uh, it's going to be pretty hard. So I go for three Savaquin to beat two Money Catcher. You might uh, try them at a tote swinger. That's race four, number three and number two in a tote swinger at Happy Valley. Later on we've got uh, Zach Purton who's got Star Bright coming up in the final event. Star Bright's still a maiden in Hong Kong but showing every sign that he's going to be able to greet the judge in a Class 3 race over six furlongs, which indeed this is. He's got Wild West Wing to beat, who's in rare form, and also number three, Lucky Archangel. So four star bright to beat five Wild West Wing. And one other for you, for Zach followers, it's in race five, number five, Noble One. A newcomer has trialled four times. Each time he's been with Zach in the saddle, 
and that's a really a good side. He's sticking with Noble One, and I think that this will be hard to beat first up. So that's race five, number five, Noble One. That's Happy Valley, and that's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Now, the sharper amongst you will realise it is not Friday today, it is Wednesday, but there are two very good reasons why we need to promote the rankings up the week. One, of course, is that we felt that we didn't really want to get right on top of the Grand National on Friday, but more importantly, this week sees the most sensational global thoroughbred rankings meltdown in the TRC machine, perhaps since we started. James Willoughby will be along very shortly. Let's read you through the top 14 this week then, after events at the weekend. 14 up 27 is the Australian star, but Japanese bred Hitotsu. Three grade ones now, including the Australian Derby, the Australian Guineas and the Victoria Derby. 13 steady, Space Blues, now retired. 12 hot rod, Charlie, holding steady enough after that okay second in the Dubai World Cup. 11 essential quality, off to the breeding shed now. 10 very elegant, down one. She's going to take on Zaki in the Queen Elizabeth, set for another Rankings meltdown potentially seven days from now. Nine is Animo down one. Eight Contrail down two. Seven steady is Zaki, who's chiseled his way back into the top ten. How much higher could he go? Then it starts to get really interesting. Six is, well, we thought the Japanese star Euphoria, teetering on the brink of the number one spot with that disappointment from life is good. Not a bit of it. Heavy defeat last week. The computer doesn't like it. Down four at six. Five is Gran Allegria. Down one. Four, Nick's go. Former world number one, but not for very long. Down one again. Three is Golden 60. Back up seven, but never made it to the number one spot. One horse who did, but not for very long. Life is good. Is down one. Has been knocked off his perch after his disappointment in the Dubai World Cup by the returning to form Nature Strip, who after two defeats has gone up four, now has emulated Chautauqua as a triple winner of the TJ Smith and has also won two Dali Classics, eight elite-level group races in total. James Willoughby, my oh, my oh, my. I've got this image of the mainframe in your mm -hmm. Hampshire headquarters steaming at the events of last weekend. Yeah, and so it's a good job that this system is automated because I certainly wouldn't know what to make of it. And at the moment, we're dealing with, right at the top of the rankings, a bunch of horses who are very good, but all of whom have their flaws. And Nature Strip, for so long in the top 10, with his aggregate of Group 1 wins in Australia, just churning away, getting closer and closer there. And finally, his third TJ Smith stakes, his most impressive win yet, albeit it was on heavy ground, and that does cause us to be a little circumspect. But nonetheless, the aggregation of his eight official Group 1s and the Everest, which we count as a Group 1, has seen him finally at the age of seven, reach world number one, where some people have contended he's deserved to be before. Okay, so is this a richly deserved, glorious coronation, or is he, do you think, just number one by default? Is this revolving door just going to continue to spin through the next few weeks? Undoubtedly, he's keeping the seat warm uh, for some other global megastar to step forward and put up a huge effort. But he is coming to Royal Ascot. Now, that's important. If he was to win the Platinum Jubilee it is now, um, then that would really cement his form, form lines on a global status. We've no doubt that Australian sprinting is the best in the world. It's not quite as far clear as it once was. Um, Hong Kong over the years has threatened that hegemony. But nonetheless, uh, there's no disguising that the Australian sprinters are the best in the world. And also, 
one could argue that the younger horses in Australia are the strongest they've ever been. So in cementing his status and even in widening uh, the manner of his victories, and this was very impressive. James McDonald took him to lead early on because he was just going so well on the outside. He broke really well. And by the time they turned in, he was just basically cartwheeling away and he extended his margin. Sometimes the last part of the race has been his weakest nature strip, but on the heavy ground, he saw it out really well. And he does act on soft, a soft surface really well, which uh, given the, the average weather in June these days will stand him in a, a, a decent stead at Royal Ascot. It will. And actually, yesterday, Chris Waller exclusively with J.A. McGrath on this podcast, Nature Strip to the King's Stand if they get Home Affairs to the Diamond Jubilee. I think that's sensible, don't you? The Stiff Five five King's Stand, especially if it's wet. Undoubtedly. He he would be vulnerable at the end of the Stiff Six, for sure, because speed is very much his main asset. But he'll, he'll have far, far too much speed for a bunch of frauds over here. We really have some risible sprinters at the global level last year's collection i thought was one of our weakest here and he is in a different parish completely uh, to some of those so i expect him to cause absolute havoc in the five furlong race whether he gets the six and completes the double as we've seen before uh, remains to be seen so how has euphoria fallen so precipitously from uh, you know a solid number two challenging number one only one point behind the leader to a rather dismal sixth well, that's because she was at a very vulnerable stage in terms of computation. Now, we're trying to rank these horses all around the world and slot them all in together automatically using an algorithm that's tried and trusted. But what happens is that in, in sometimes horses reach a point where, you know, one win or loss either way can make a big difference to them. And that's generally when they've had five or six starts. You know, they've basically got a couple of big efforts, like the 10-0 show of the four years last autumn was really convincing that he was one of the best horses in the world. And it seemed like he only had to kind of turn up in the Osaka High last Sunday to, to make it to number one. But he completely fell flat on his face and ran his worst ever race in six by a wide margin. And of course, that creates uncertainty as far as calculations are concerned. If your latest run is also your worst one, it means that your true ability, which is what the computer is trying to work out, that basically where that could lie on the scale has to widen. And that uncertainty is reflected in where Euphoria is ranked in terms of the horses. He could be anywhere now between world number one and basically somewhere around the 15, 16 mark. So he did have excuses. He banged his head ball accounts. So hopefully he can cement his reputation and bounce back to form next time and maybe return to pressing the top horse. Well, Golden 60 is back up seven places to, to number three and golden 60 was a, a perennial number two in this list when when he was winning everything and could never quite convince the computer he should be the world number one but the computer's <laughs> really right. reassured james that he's, he's back to winning ways it is he is he is he the real deal this horse or, or is he a bit of a fraud do you think i have absolutely no idea nick uh, one day it looks one way the next day it looks the other way he's won 14 uh, group races in hong kong so it's very hard to from 16 tries, so it's very hard to knock him. But most of those basically were cakewalks uh, internationally. Now, they did decide to ride him a little closer to the pace on Sunday, and that seemed to work quite nicely. Now, he's a horse you could never lead with because he idles in front. But setting it, sitting right out the back, as I've commented before, was pretty balmy when you're behind horses that you're about a stone better than, and they just get in the way in the end and force you to come wide. So he got a more efficient ride from Ho than has been the case in the past. And he made no mistake. He's an authoritative winner. 
it was a race he should have won, but he's been a long time number three and, or number two, as you say. He's now basically returned to where he is. He's in striking position. Basically, the bar, with all due respect to Nature Strip, was a wonderful horse, but the bar has never been lower in terms of a Galactico right at the top yeah. of the charts. And so any of these horses near the top, if they put together a string of convincing wins, they could uh, get to the top themselves. It's, it's very much like the, the golf rankings at the moment. Golf rankings are almost identical. There's going to be a different number one virtually every couple of weeks for, for the rest of the year. So the, quest, the question that really struck me last week, we've been rolling these um, sort of Charlie Appleby superstar uh, pieces that I, I went and shot last, what was it, last Thursday. And yeah. we, just, we just heard another a clutch of them. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute, James Willoughby and, and this yeah. TRC computer. This, this mm-hmm. revolving door of supposed um, Eastern trained superstars in Japan and Australia, just mar- we're just marking time until the proper European horses strut their stuff. All these, uh, all these lovely Appleby older horses. The Euphorias the and Gran Allegrias and Nick's Goes and Golden Sixties and Life is Goods and Nature Strips, they'll be a distant receding memory in three months' time when we're, we're bullying up the boys in blue, won't they? No, they won't. No, I don't, I don't think they will. No, uh, I'm not going to go into my rant that I, that I reproduced for the 15th time last week about how these other countries are so much better. But Adair and Hurricane Lane have got quite a bit to do. I think Yubir is probably the best of the... Uh, the, the Appleby mob, and, and he ran incredibly well the other day. But yeah, anyone that thinks that this is just down to some sort of bias or seasonality needs to remember that if you look at the other categories, British trade, British operators, humans, are actually really well placed. Charlie Appleby retains his place as the world number one trainer. Uh, we have Frankie Dettori and William Buicker, four, five, and Ryan Moore is eight. So that's three British jockeys, British, British base jockeys in the uh, top eight there behind James McDonald and Joel Rosario. It's just, Nick, I mean, I'm just not convinced by European racing at the moment. I'm really not. I know that we've had quite a lot of success on the international stage by picking our spots really skillfully. And there'll always be horses that, that represent us, but we need a new generation, I, I would argue. A fresh generation of global talent needs to come through from the two-year-old and three-year-old ranks of last season. Um, Baid, at the moment, I would argue, William Haggis' Myla is by far our best horse in terms of the international scene. But I don't think that'll be the case by the end of the year. And I'm predicting this year, for the first time in a lot of years, an Aidan O'Brien resurgence. I think he's been underperforming for a number of years. And I think that, that he's got quite a lot of horses I like from last year. And I think the great man... Uh, we'll get his ducks in a row this year. Might produce a couple of horses that can really find their way, way to the upper echelons of the charts. But they're going to need to because the American three-year-old generation have really just started to crank into gear. And there's plenty of other very, very good horses. So there's a lot of heft at the top of the rankings. There are no real superstars right at the top, but there's an awful lot of strength in depth. I mentioned this week the likes of Fireburn as well, the Australian filly, who's now put two, together two extraordinary efforts, the English size and the Longines Golden Slippy within a week, both massively impressive wins. And she typifies what's going on down under with their three-year-olds. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come as they, as they become four-year-olds and take on the older horses more. But they're a really, really strong bunch. Animo, who was massively impressive the other day, is, is near the head of, of that bunch for sure. So it's not going to be easy for these European horses to make it where they were before. And I think that's reflecting a, a proper trend. So 
it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I really can't wait to find out how it unveil, how it how it develops, and and, and where these European horses eventually end up. All right, thanks to James, and thanks to all my guests on what's been a ram-packed show today. Uh, Jane Mangan is still with me and has a tip for, I don't know when, when you want to, I mean, you, we're going to hear your Grand National tip uh, in the special podcast on Friday, Jane, so you can keep that, uh, you can keep that under wraps because you've got plenty of time to change your mind if you need to. But uh, what do you want to give us maybe for the first day of entry or even this afternoon? It seems unnatural that we talk about entry and all things uh, Liverpool, and I'm going to concentrate on the flat, but there's really good flat action today. Just reading about Frankie de Tori coming back on stall against Trushan at Nottingham. We have the Heritage at uh, Leopardstown today. We see Pearls Galore and Radobar go off, face off. But I'm actually going to go for the 3.40 in Leopardstown. It's a handicap. Joseph O'Brien was on the mark with Hazaya uh, last Sunday or last Saturday evening at Leopardstown. First run for the yard. Was due to go up. £13 after that facile win, but of course runs off the £7 penalty today. As I had to defy the penalty in the 3.40. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget that if you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends. Let me know what you would like to hear more of by writing us a review on any of your podcast platforms. And if you'd be kind enough to give us a rating, that'd be great as well. We will see you tomorrow for day one of Aintree. But for the moment, that was Wednesday, the 6th of April. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.